0: It is also, in this past week, the 60th anniversary uh, of the assassination of President John F. Kennedy. That was Wednesday. This is a subject about which I wrote a New York Times bestselling book in 2013, The Man Who Killed Kennedy, The Case Against LBJ. Uh, and uh, it is uh, a book that I took to six different publishers, all of whom told me that it had no commercial appeal, that it would never be successful, uh, but uh, it became a New York Times bestseller, uh, and uh, it, uh, it has done very well. If you bother to buy it, I urge you to get the paperback edition. It has three additional chapters. Uh, the Warren Commission uh, declared in 1964 uh, that uh, on the basis of their investigation – which was really the rubber stamp of an investigation by J. Edgar Hoover's FBI that he opened and closed in seven days flat immediately after the murder of John F. Kennedy in the streets of Dallas. Lee Harvey Oswald, uh, a lone nut, indeed a communist, uh, acting alone, shot and killed President John F. Kennedy. Interestingly enough, uh, the number of Americans who do not believe that, according to the Gallup poll, uh, which was very low in the period immediately after the uh, assassination, where about 53% uh, agreed with that statement. Uh, today, 65% of Americans uh, in a Gallup poll conducted in October think that Kennedy's assassination involved a, a conspiracy. Uh, when asked uh, who was involved in that conspiracy, of Americans say the U.S. government. But frankly, something has changed. Something has changed dramatically. The the New York Times actually, to my surprise, ran a story, which we covered here on The Roger Stone Show, about 88-year-old Paul Landis, uh, a retired Secret Service agent, who came forward to say... Uh, that he had actually found the so-called pristine bullet, uh, the bullet that uh, the autopsy uh, of Kennedy claimed uh, ha- and the investigation by the Warren Commission claimed had uh, had uh, pierced John Kennedy, hit Governor John Connolly, lodged in his thigh and then fell out on his stretcher. Uh, in fact, Paul Landis said that he found this pristine bullet uh, in the rear of Kennedy's limousine, and he placed it on Kennedy's stretcher uh, in Parkland Memorial Hospital. Uh, a nurse by the name of Phyllis Hill uh, saw him do it. She's also come forward. The reason this is significant is because it essentially debunks the so-called magic bullet theory. That is the conclusion of the Warren Commission uh, that said that uh, John Kennedy was shot from behind three shots all fired by Lee Harvey Oswald, using a bolt-action arcane uh, Carcano rifle, Italian army carbine from the sixth floor of the Texas School Book Depository building. Uh, Before this uh, program is over, I'm going to tell you who did shoot President John F. Kennedy from the sixth floor of the Texas School Book Depository building, and I'm going to I'm going to relate to you the fingerprint and eyewitness evidence uh, that proves it. But in addition to the New York Times, which has long been a progenitor of the single Gudman acting alone, the lone nutter philosophy, uh, to my surprise, Paramount Pictures actually greenlighted and made an extraordinary documentary entitled What the Parkland Doctors Saw. This is significant uh, because what the doctors saw was that President John F. Kennedy uh, had bullet wounds that were indicative of the fact that he'd been shot shot from both the front uh, and uh, the back. That, of course, means uh, that there was a conspiracy, uh, and that uh, disproves the Warren Commission conclusions. In fact, uh, in 1978, uh, a House committee, select committee on assassinations, which had been set up specifically uh, because of public doubt regarding both the assassination of John F. Kennedy, doubt that was really stirred to a fever pitch a little earlier by Oliver Stone's amazing uh, film, JFK. And that investigation, uh, said that there was a conspiracy uh, and that organized crime had uh, been involved. But that's all they told us, and they didn't name any names. Additionally, of course, within this same time frame, Robert F. Kennedy Jr. has come forward uh, with a very compelling interview in which he points the finger at the Central Intelligence Agency uh, in the murder of his uncle, uh, as well as telling a chilling story about the murder of his father, uh, in which he also believes that the public narrative that uh, Sirhan Sirhan, a Palestinian acting alone, uh, killed his father. Uh, and JF, uh, pardon me, RFK cites the uh, book, JFK and the Unspeakables, Why He Died and Why It Matters, by James Douglas as the source of his documentation. It is indeed a Very compelling book. The conclusion I reached, frankly, is that there was a plot. Notice I don't say conspiracy uh, that involved the Central Intelligence Agency, the mob, big Texas oil, the Secret Service, uh, with a subsequent cover up by the FBI. Now, when you examine a crime like this, uh, you need to look at motive means and opportunity. I argue that every one of those institutions or the individuals involved within them had their individual motive for the murder of JFK. The Central Intelligence Agency's motive is rather clear. Uh, the Bay of Pigs invasion of Cuba, which was planned under President Dwight Eisenhower uh, in a working group chaired by Vice President Richard Nixon, Uh, had been an abysmal failure. Kennedy uh, blamed the Central Intelligence Agency, first of all, because they claimed that the result of the invasion by Cubans uh, storming the beaches uh, would be a popular uprising among the people against Castro, which, of course, did not happen. Uh, But additionally, the Central Intelligence Agency had promised JFK that the men storming the beaches uh, would be uh, provided air cover by 29 Panamanian-flagged bombers flown by Cuban pilots out of Panama. For reasons we do not know, uh, Charles Cable, the number two man at the CIA, subsequently fired by JFK, uh, and strangely enough, the brother of Texas, Dallas, Texas, Mayor Earl Cable, a crony of Lyndon Johnson, uh, who essentially never left Johnson's side from the moment of the assassination, uh, along with Dallas's police chief, uh, the, uh, there is very little dispute because Kennedy himself says uh, he wants to shatter the CIA and scatter it to the wind. The other motive of the intelligence agencies, of course, is Kennedy's handling of the Cuban Missile Crisis. See, and the Cuban Missile Crisis didn't go down the way we've been told uh, it did. There's actually a movie about this which glamorizes brave Jack and Bobby Kennedy for facing down Nikita Khrushchev uh, and getting him to remove the missiles that he had placed 90 miles from our shore. That's not quite what happened. In fact, uh, the intelligence services, the Pentagon, and the State Department certainly knew in real time that the Kennedy brothers made a secret deal with JFK, uh, LBJ, uh, Richard Nixon, who came to town to uh, address uh, a Coca-Cola, pardon me, a Pepsi-Cola bottlers convention, uh, and George H.W. Bush. George Bush said for 30 years he couldn't remember uh, where he was uh, on that fateful day. But ultimately, it was established that he was in Tyler, Texas. Now, he would say for 30 years he couldn't remember where he was. Anybody who is my age uh, knows exactly where they were the moment that John F. Kennedy was killed. Uh, But we do know that George H.W. Bush called the FBI station chief in Houston essentially to establish that he was uh, in Tyler, Texas, uh, and he actually uh, made up what I think was a ruse. He reported the identity of some young Republican in Harris County who he, who he said may or may not ha- have threatened the life of uh, the president. When the Secret Service arrived at this young man's home, they found him in the backyard uh, making George Bush for the U.S. Senate posters, painting them. So when we come back, we're going to talk more about uh, the 60th anniversary of the Kennedy assassination. I'm going to tell you a lot more about Jack Ruby. Uh, and uh, thanks for joining The Roger Stone Show right here at 77 WABC. It's
1: The Roger Stone Show on 77 WABC. Now, here's Roger Stone.
0: Welcome back. I'm Roger Stone, uh, and we are dissecting the Warring Commission's conclusion that Lee Harvey Oswald, who said uh, that uh, he was a patsy, Lee Harvey Oswald, who a paraffin test showed had no nitrate whatsoever on his chest or his arms, uh, who insisted that he had not shot anyone, had clearly not shot a gun that day. Brings us, to, of course, to the question of Jack Ruby. Uh, the Warren Commission told us that Jack Ruby, the man who was seen on national television killing Lee Harvey Oswald, thus cens- uh, uh, silencing the patsy, as he called himself, had no known association with organized crime, which is really laughable. Uh, Jack Ruby, better known as Jack Rubenstein, had been a button man for Carlos Marcello, had actually been an enforcer for the mob in Chicago, uh, had uh, run a casino for Marcello in Cuba, uh, and uh, the Carousel Club, uh, which he ostensibly owned, was actually owned uh, by Marcello. Jack Ruby, uh, known as Jack Rubenstein, uh, pops up in a very strange place. Uh, In 1948... Congressman Lyndon Baines Johnson went to Congressman Richard Nixon and said, "I notice you have some excess budget in the House Un-American Activities Committee uh, uh, minority budget. Actually, at that point, it was a majority budget, uh, and I'd like you to hire Jack Rubenstein of Chicago uh, as an informant uh, for the committee." And uh, Nixon complied. Rubenstein was actually brought to Nixon by Murray Shotner, who was not only Nixon's early political mentor, the first modern political consultant, but also a well-known mob lawyer. Perhaps this is why uh, Richard Nixon, watching the assassination of Lee Harvey Oswald on national television uh, with his trusted aide, Nick Rui, uh, who is really his body man, uh, sees uh, the visage of Ruby and says, I know that man, I know that man. Uh, this uh, is all documented in the records of the clerk of the House, uh, but uh, clearly it connects Jack Ruby, who most definitely killed Lee Harvey Oswald, to Lyndon Baines Johnson. Uh, I would uh, later have the direct opportunity to ask a uh, Nixon, this question. Uh, 1989, when I was doing some political chores for him, uh, I had spent enough time with the old man, as everybody who worked for him called him, uh, to know that uh, he did not, it was not retrospective. He, it was very hard to get him to talk about things in the past. Eisenhower, Khrushchev, uh, getting stoned in Caracas, uh, John F. Kennedy. Uh, But when he had a couple cocktails, he became positively loquacious. Uh, I've actually cited his silver bullet martini recipe right here on The Roger Stone Show. And therefore, when I got a chance to ask him directly uh, who killed Kennedy, he said, well, the Warren Commission was the biggest goddamn hoax in American history. By the way, he said the exact same thing to Pat Buchanan. Uh, But when I pressed him, he kind of looked into his drink, shuddered and first said, Dallas, I said, I'm sorry, sir. I don't I don't understand. He said, let me put it to you this way. Both Lyndon and I wanted to be president, but I wasn't willing to kill for it. There you have it, folks. Before the end of the show, I'm going to tell you who the shooter from the sixth floor of the Texas School Book Depository was and how I reached that conclusion, including the fingerprint evidence and eyewitness evidence uh, that uh, I uh, rely on. Uh, But in the meantime, we're going to go to the phones and take your calls. If you're interested in calling, that number is uh, 800-848-9222, 800 848-9222. Eight four 9222 Let's uh, go to uh, John in Connecticut. Hello, Roger. Roger Stone. Yes, indeed. Where are you in Connecticut? Uh, Southbury,
2: Connecticut. I'm an ex-Marine. When uh, Kennedy got assassinated, I was a 21-year-old kid. I was crying. But you know something? I was naive. Now I'm older. He had a lot of ghosts in his uh, wardrobe. He was connected to the Irish mob in uh, in Massachusetts with that guy, Whitey Bulger. So he he was an honest politician. And then the Texans down there were still fighting the Civil War. They hated a Yankee, uh, especially a Catholic from North, coming down there. But... uh, the assassination of Kennedy had to do with a lot of things. The mob wanted him out of the way because he turned coat on them. They got him elected. And uh, the the Irish mob in uh, in Massachusetts hated the Italian mob in, in, uh, in uh, Massachusetts and down south. So there was a lot of friction. Politics is a dirty game. And you, you, you don't know who your enemy and the Texans down there, did not like Kennedy, they're like Irish Catholic uh, Kennedys. My friend joined the paratroopers in 1958. He says, boy, they they, they ha- they're fighting the Civil War down there. He says, uh, all, all the NCOs were all like uh, uh, Southern rebels. They hated any guys that came from the north to train down there. But uh, getting back to Biden. Uh, he would allow like 10, 10 million Chinese troops to come into this country the way he's going because he he was getting hundreds of millions of dollars from the Chinese communists. Even that guy McConnell, the Republican, he got eighty million dollars from uh, the Chinese government.
0: So right. there's
2: a lot of corruption in in Washington D.C.
0: Uh, let, let me uh, let me address that from the top. I must say that. Uh... Everything you say about John Kennedy is true. He definitely had ties through his father uh, to organized crime. They definitely played a major role in his uh, razor-thin upset election. Uh, He definitely, uh, through the actions of his attorney general brother, Robert Kennedy, uh, he definitely double-crossed them. Uh, At the same time, he was an ardent anti-communist. He favored a massive defense buildup. Uh, because the Soviets were building uh, a war machine at that time. He insisted on a silver-backed dollar. Uh, he had a deep suspicion of the intelligence agencies because of the uh, their lies to him regarding the Bay of Pigs invasion in Cuba and the Cuban Missile Crisis. Uh, we talked about that earlier on the show. Uh, as far as Biden is concerned, I believe that the House Oversight Committee has evidence that would prove everything you say. Uh, not only has Joe Biden lied, uh, but uh, I think there are bank transfers and bank records and other records that document uh, your claim that he has taken payments uh, through a Chinese energy company, uh, and that means he is compromised. The question is, uh, will Joe Biden be treated the same way, Donald Trump was tweeted. treated. Will there be an intensive investigation? Uh, Steve Bannon and Peter Navarro, uh, who both worked for Donald Trump, uh, refused to testify for the January 6th committee. Uh, I was called to testify. I fulfilled my legal obligations because I pled the Fifth Amendment. Uh, therefore you don't get tricked in some, some process crime, some word game. I, that happened to me once. Was well, not going to happen to me twice. I played the fifth not because I had anything to hide, not because I knew anything particularly, but because I knew of the Democrats' ability to twist your words and hand it over to a hostile uh, Department of Justice. But Bannon and Navarro refused to testify, uh, and they were uh, they were charged with contempt. They were convicted with contempt. Now uh, Congressman James Comer has sent subpoenas uh, to uh, to Hunter Biden. Uh, and to uh, James Biden uh, and uh, a third Biden uh, and it remains to be seen whether they will respect those uh, and if they do not respect those subpoenas uh, and show up and testify, even if they plead the fifth, uh, and that is referred to the Justice Department as the Bannon and Navarro prosecutions were, uh, will any action be taken against them? Uh, that uh, it, I think we have a two-tiered justice system uh writ large i uh, thank you very much john for your question let's go to uh jackson in oklahoma
3: well it's great to be on with you mr stone and uh my question is if trump is to get reelected in 24 do you think that he would within his term release all of the jfk files that are redacted and so forth, do you think all of those would get released? And if so, what kind of impact would that have on, like, the American public having that information?
0: Well, first of all, I, he said publicly that he will now, uh, if he becomes president again, he will release everything. Uh, the Congress passed the, uh, the JFK Assassination Records Act, I think in 1997, I believe it was, that set a timetable – Uh, so that the first enormous tranche of classified documents uh, were scheduled to be released in 2017, the first year of the Trump presidency. Uh, I urged him to uh, release those. Uh, He said he would think about it. Uh, I came away with the idea that he would. Uh, In the end, he released uh, about 80% of the material, holding back 20, he would later tell me, because Mike Pompeo, uh, the head of the CIA, later Secretary of State, uh, argued uh, that releasing them would expose our sources and methods. That's really unacceptable. First of all, uh, there are no sources involved in the Kennedy assassination 60 years ago, still living, that we know of. Uh, And secondarily, if if indeed these documents show that the Central Intelligence Agency knew far more about uh, the movements of Lee Harvey Oswald, as did the FBI, uh, they wouldn't cooperate Central Intelligence would not cooperate with the House on american activities. pardon me, the House Select Committee on Assassinations uh, investigation in 1978. They stonewalled it in terms of either testimony or documents, probably why the commission came up with a uh, limited uh, conclusion that organized crime had been involved in Kennedy's uh, assassination. Uh, but uh, a- at the same time, uh, I think that uh, that the decision then went to Joe Biden uh, and Biden had to make the same decision. Uh, and yet again, Biden elected to hold back 20% of the documents uh, earlier this year. W- what is in this that the doctor that they are hiding uh, based on uh, James uh, Douglas's book, based on the research I did for my own book, the man who killed Kennedy, the case against LBJ, by the way, if you want to copy, You can go to themanwhokilledkennedy.com, themanwhokilledkennedy.com, and you'll get a a signed copy. Uh, I concluded that the Central Intelligence Agency was deeply involved in the Kennedy assassination. Uh, They didn't act alone, as I have made a point earlier, but I think that is the final conclusion when all of these documents are released. Let me put it another way. The U.S. government essentially... Uh, 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 moved and approved uh, and orchestrated the murder of a U.S. president. That is a, a very scary idea. Uh, I do think Trump will release them. Uh, I thank you uh, very much for your question. Uh, let's uh, go to
1: uh, Lou in
0: White Plains. Lou, are you there?
1: Hey, hello, Mr. Stone. Uh, what a what a pleasure to, to be able to turn on and and hear uh, hear yourself and the likes of Dick Morris. Uh, it's it's invaluable, and you guys can't go anywhere. We need you here forever. <laughs> uh,
0: Dick, had, Dick, Dick Dick had a great show today. I listened to it. it; was very good.
1: Yeah, yeah. It always is like yours. It's just there's just so much to to be had. Uh, tough to follow the call uh, previous uh, someone that is so you know affected by by what's happening. I almost feel frivolous, but. Um, back to JFK, uh, my uncle, being a, a pretty good athlete, well-known from Brockton, Mass., went out and made a couple appearances for a guy named JFK, uh, and then uh, later in his later years moved to Florida and, and was uh, had a lawyer named Frank Regano who uh, who handled a couple guys that you mentioned, Traficante, Marsalis, uh, Jimmy Hoffa, uh, and he represented my uncle. So uh, my uncle, in his book, Regano uh, speaks about being at lunch with with my uncle, um, and then getting the call. I don't want to misspeak from either Marcellus or Traficante saying that it's been taken care of. It's it's done. You know, um, the day the day of the uh, the assassination. Um, so I don't know if you've heard of uh, Regano or read his book.
0: Uh, I, I actually have, uh, and uh, everything, yeah. uh, everything I think you say is uh, reflected in, in my book. Uh, it is absolutely clear that the double-cross of Marcello and, uh, and Santo Traficante, who uh, the Attorney General in the Eisenhower administration was seeking to deport, uh, and the stepping up of that effort by Attorney General Robert Kennedy – becomes uh, a major motive for the mob. Uh, Along with that uh, is the fact that JFK spurns uh, the support of Frank Sinatra. Sinatra, who had campaigned vigorously for Kennedy in 1960, Sinatra, whose mother, Dolly Sinatra, had been a ward healer of the Hudson County Democratic Organization, also a midwife, uh, had uh, been the head uh, of the entertainment for John Kennedy's uh, inauguration, bringing the entire Rat Pack with him. Uh, but when Kennedy was scheduled to visit Las Vegas uh, and scheduled to stay, uh, pardon me, Palm Springs, uh, and was scheduled to stay at the home of Sinatra, uh, that was nixed, even though Sinatra had put in a helipad at great expense for the presidential helicopter and instead it was decided that JFK would stay at the home of Bing Crosby, who was a Republican. Uh, This is the beginning uh, of Frank Sinatra's break with the Kennedys, uh, although he'd been a lifelong Democrat. By 1970, uh, he supported his pal Ronald Reagan's re-election as governor of California, uh, and then uh, went on to uh, uh, support... Reagan when he was elected president, uh, in 1980 actually going so far as to, uh, campaign for him, uh, in, uh, uh, in Hoboken, uh, which he had not visited for many years based on some beef, uh, that he had, uh, with the local town fathers. I remember it very succinctly, uh, because, uh, it was a Reagan rally, uh, that he attended, uh, and. Uh, when I told him uh, my mother's maiden name, uh, he put his arm around and he said, I knew you were a smart kid, uh, Frank Sinatra, a uh, uh, truly uh, great, great man. A- in any event, uh, I thank you very much for your call. I make the case again uh, that the, the the House committee correctly says the mob is involved in Kennedy's assassination, but, jo- but Lyndon Johnson is on the pad for the mob. Uh, in other words... Uh, A man named Jack Halfer is paying Johnson uh, to protect the mob's uh, illegal gambling dens in Houston uh, and Dallas uh, and uh, San Antonio. Uh, And uh, he's getting the princely sum of, uh, I think it is, uh, $1950,000 a month, which is a huge bribe. Maybe $5,000. I have to go back and look in my book. Uh, But uh, he is on the pad. Uh, Johnson is on the pad for Marcello, that is his connection to organized crime. Uh, and interestingly enough, uh, we later learn uh, that Halfer, the man who was the bag man, would be pardoned from uh, some unrelated crime literally days after LBJ becomes president. Uh, Lou, thank you so much for your call. Uh, here's a very special call. Bubba in Tampa, Florida.
3: Hello, Roger.
0: Is this the is this Bubba the Love Sponge?
3: It is. It's been trying to call you for about an hour and a half, but your phone lines are so blown up on 77 WABC. Thank God they got the balls to put somebody like you on there. Kudos to them. Kudos to 77 WABC for putting Roger Stone on. I love that, being a radio historian.
0: Well, I, uh, I've been a, uh, privileged to be a guest on your show many times. We were... Introduced by our mutual friend Tucker Carlson, uh, and, I'm del- and I'm delighted that you called in today. Uh, do you have a comment or a question?
3: Yeah, I got I actually the guy before, before me, oddly enough, so I'm listening to the whole show and I'm like, okay, they're opening up with the monologue of the JFK, and Roger's covering it beautifully. He's got, you know, I, I found it interesting that JFK hit the, hit the deck prior to the. To the, to the first shot and you get, you know, I learned some stuff that I didn't know prior, but I was like in the back of my head, I had, us people from Tampa have had it instilled in our head that Tampa, Santos Traficante really was supposed to be the day before at, near the Floridian Hotel, it was supposed to be, that's where it was supposed to be, be taking place. Uh, but there was a rain shower, and they needed the bubble on top of the limo. So that guy, I, I thought for sure nobody knew that. And the the fine gentleman before me did address that. Um While I was on hold, I didn't get to hear all of it. I didn't know... If you believed, or you if you thought that same scenario as well, and was there in the Warren Commission or any of the any of your investigations, yep. was Santos supposed to be the trigger, or was he supposed? To, was Kennedy supposed to be off the day earlier in Tampa? Uh,
0: thanks uh, for that terrific question. Uh, let me make two points, and then we got to go to break. First of all, it was Lyndon Johnson's aide, Bill Moyers who instructed the Secret Service to remove the bubble top from John F. Kennedy's limousine. It had just rained, although the sun was out. If the bubble top, which was not uh, bulletproof, had been in place, it would have been very hard for a sniper to get a clear uh, and convincing headshot at Kennedy. Uh, That is something another tie Johnson has to the assassination Uh, I think that they looked at killing Kennedy in Tampa. They also looked at killing him in Chicago. Uh, They also looked at killing him in Miami. But it is only uh, in Dallas that you have these extraordinary breaches of the Secret Service protocols. Uh, I want to thank my good friend Bubba for calling in. Uh, This is The Roger Stone Show. We're going to go to break, but we will be right back.
1: This is The Roger Stone Show on 77 WABC. Now, here's Roger Stone.
0: Welcome back. This is the Roger Stone Show on 77 WABC, where we are making AM radio great again. This is the crown jewel of AM radio, the very best talk and entertainment lineup in the country. Gina in California, you have a call.
4: Hi, Roger. I'm so happy to meet you. Thank you so much for all you do for Trump and being such a great patriot. Um, can you hear me okay?
0: Yes, indeed. Please go right ahead. Okay, David. great.
4: So um, I have two questions. One is the footage um, of the driver. Like, it looked like he had, he had um, pulled out a gun. Just curious about that. And then the other question I had, um, my dad actually, in the 60s, after the fact, was working with one of the nurses and um i know from what he has my dad unfortunately died before trump you know even um went to office but um apparently like you know she, she, her and the other staff, they were all afraid and they um because so many people were being killed off so every 6 months she kept moving around and um you know she said the Warner commission um they fal- falsified her information and used her testimony against her and whatnot. And, um, but what I was curious about was that I had read that the last remaining, I think there were at the time of like a few years ago, there were like four remaining hospital staff. Like there was one doctor and three other hospital staff that made a joint statement. So do you know if the people were able to eventually come forward and. You know, give
0: their testimony. Yes, absolutely. This this new documentary, which is actually reviewed in the New York Times, what the Parkland doctors saw uh, is an extraordinary uh, piece of work. It is made uh, with uh, without any focus on anything other than that narrow question, what the doctors saw and what the doctors uh, were told. Uh, I recommend it to you because it destroys the single-bullet theory. It destroys the lone gunman theory. Uh, And uh, the doctors in all cases say they were warned to not discuss, to essentially forget what they had seen, which is obviously extraordinarily disturbing. It's very interesting that the Warren Commission never actually saw the autopsy photos. They were denied access to the autopsy photos What they saw were drawings of what the autopsy photos showed. Really quite uh, extraordinary. You can go on YouTube. There's a great video of Jack Ruby. uh, And uh, Jack Ruby would die of cancer after killing Lee Harvey Oswald, uh, who the government claims was the lone assassin, uh, which he denies, killing him in cold blood. Why the Dallas police, by the way, would, would parade a man accused of killing the President of the United States in an open garage. Ruby had no problem getting in, but maybe that's because he knew most of the cops, since a number of them were at his carousel club the night before, along with several Secret Service agents who would be guarding Kennedy the next day. The Warren Commission doesn't really tell us much about that, do they? So, uh, but Ruby can be seen being led down a hallway uh, by a Texas police officer, and reporter shouts to him, Jack, Jack, how did this happen? How could this happen? Uh, and Ruby says, look at the man at the top, the man at the very, very top. Reporter says, uh, Jack, what do you mean? And Ruby says, let me put it to you this way. If Adelaide Stevenson had been a vice president, none of this would have happened. There it is, pointing the finger yet again. Uh, Cui Bono, who benefits? who had the most to benefit uh, in the murder of John F. Kennedy. Johnson appoints himself to the Subcommittee of Defense Appropriations, where the CIA's secret black box budgets are controlled. Uh, He is the paymaster for the CIA through the 50s and early 60s. Uh, Johnson is on the pad for organized crime, being paid uh, by Carlos Marcello uh, through Jack Halfer. Uh, Johnson is the water carrier in Washington, D.C. for big Texas oil. H.L. Hunt, uh, Clint Murchison, D.H. Uh, Byrd. D.H. Byrd was the owner of the Texas School Book Depository building. I'll tell you a little more about uh, him uh, in just a second. So uh, and then, of course, uh, J. Edgar Hoover was Lyndon Johnson's next door neighbor and uh close uh, confidant of his. The Johnson's girls referred uh, referred to Hoover as Uncle Edgar. He knew the Kennedys were going to cashier him in 1964. It was Hoover who supplied the photographs of a stunning East German spy named Inga Arva in bed with JFK uh, that Johnson used to blackmail his way onto the ticket. Johnson uh, is, uh, is not the JFK's first choice. Uh, Johnson has chosen Stuart Symington, a senator from Missouri, as vice president, according to the memoirs of Symington himself and also to the memoirs of Clark Clifford. Uh, when Johnson shows him the photos and tells him that he needs Texas, Johnson can guarantee him Texas on the ticket. Uh, and uh, otherwise, while well, these photos, courtesy of J. Edgar Hoover's FBI, may just find their way over to Richard Nixon. There there you have it. Uh, It is uh, interesting that on a very cold day, uh, January, uh, Ted Sorensen, the chief speechwriter for Kennedy, standing next to Bobby Baker, the aforementioned secretary of the Senate, uh, we spoke about earlier, uh, and after Johnson is sworn in, again, uh, he is told uh, by Sorensen, congratulations, Baker says, John F. Kennedy will die a violent and premature death, and he storms away. To me, it's a pretty open uh, and shut case. But uh, I thank you very much for your call. Uh, Al in Yonkers, uh, Westchester County, my old stomping grounds. Welcome to the Stone oh, Nice to Show. Speak
5: to you. Yeah, nice to speak to you, Oliver Stone. Uh, a pleasure. Uh, just two things, you know. Since I'm a young kid, young guy, I've always followed the assassination of uh, President Kennedy in November 22nd, 1963. Uh, there were two serious security breaches on the day and the day after, or two days pr- uh, after. Uh, one, as you know, was the uh, uh, letting a pr- uh, president travel in an open convertible. That is uh, something that changed right after his assassination. And the second thing is, as you pointed out. Uh, I never could understand when uh was a big breach with the Texas Rangers. When they were pulling up Oswald out of the, uh, the garage, whether it was from the jail or so, he had two Texas Rangers on each side of him. But uh, a big security breach is there was nobody in front of him. And it was so easy for Jack Ruby to get that shot in. And I always was disturbed that that was such a security breach.
0: All right. Let, let me talk about it. If you're just tuning in, folks, this is The Roger Stone Show at 77 W.A.B.C. You can find us, obviously, at 770 on the AM dial, or you can listen to us worldwide in 73 countries uh, at wabcradio.com, where we are live streaming. Check it out. And of course, as I've said earlier, please, please uh, download uh, the app. Uh, it is uh, interesting that the Warren Commission initially almost didn't come into fruition. Johnson, at first, was going to appoint a Texas-based commission, have uh, the governor, John Connolly, appointed to conduct the inquiry. They planned to ask U.S. Supreme Court Justice Tom Clark, uh, a Texan, a crony of Johnson's, to chair it, but Johnson's aides persuaded him that a Texas investigation would look too much like it was being manipulated by Johnson, and therefore we got the Warren Commission. The Warren Commission includes Alan Dulles, who hated John F. Kennedy, had just been fired by him uh, after the death of Robert Kennedy. When asked why Johnson had such a firm Kennedy hater on the Warren Commission, Johnson said that Robert Kennedy insisted on it which is most likely a lie. Uh, Here's why I I believe Johnson uh, is directly connected more than any of the other evidence I have already printed uh, or talked about, Uh, and uh, I'm going to answer the questions set out at the beginning of the show. Uh, The shooter from the sixth floor of the Texas School Book Depository Building is a man named Malcolm Mack Wallace. Uh, We know that it is uh, Wallace because... Wallace was convicted in 1951, a first degree murder of a man named John Douglas Kinzer, who was uh, a golfer, uh, was killed in uh, in uh, broad daylight uh, after, how, after Kinzer got involved with Lyndon Johnson's sister, Josepha Johnson, who was kind of a bohemian party girl. Uh, but whatever it was, Josepha told Kinzer, Kinzer was seeking to blackmail Johnson with that information. It was alleged that it pertained to his theft of a Senate seat in 1948. A fingerprint matching the fingerprint of Malcolm McWallace is the only print found other than those of Dallas police officers uh, and, it is alleged later, some prints of Oswald that are found on the cardboard boxes in the so-called crow's nest uh, from which the shooter shoots. Uh, no less than six eyewitnesses uh, describe a man who meets the physical description of Mac Wallace, who left his fingerprint on the cardboard box. Uh, nationally recognized expert uh, in fingerprint technology at the time, uh, Nathan Darby insists there's a 32-point match more than sufficient for use uh, in a court of law. The Johnson family would go to great lengths to try to debunk that. A woman named Joan Mellon wrote a book, which is a uh, a cover-up. Uh, I believe it was funded through Lieutenant Governor Ben Barnes on behalf of the Johnson family interests. Uh, but, uh, eyewitnesses don't lie. They all describe, uh, a man who is middle-aged, heavy-set, heavy to middle-medium build, balding, and in every case they say wearing glasses. That is a perfect description of Mac Wallace. Uh, a man named Loy Factor, who was a Native American, uh, has written an amazing book in which he says that he was on the sixth floor of the Texas School Book Depository building, uh, that he was a, uh, a award-winning sharp shooter, that uh, Wallace had seen him shoot at a county fair, uh, had uh, gotten uh, his address, uh, told me he might have some work for him, uh, and later that Wallace and a mysterious woman brought him to Dallas where he was to serve as the backup shooter for Mac Wallace. If Wallace uh, had the shakes or lost his nerve, Loy Factor's claim is bolstered by the fact that multiple witnesses who also saw Wallace claimed that they saw a dark-complected man uh, as well, either a, a Mexican-American or uh, or a Native American. And Loy Factor completely accurately describes the surroundings on the sixth floor including uh, the small detail of a flat saw uh, to the right of the window uh, from which JFK was shot. Uh, a man named James Carr uh, saw uh, a man who meets the physical description of Malcolm McWallace Wallace uh, running out of the Texas School Book Depository building uh, minutes after Kennedy has been shot, uh, jump into a Nash Rambler and be driven away by uh, another man who he describes as dark-complected. There would be as many as three attempts on James Carr's life after he reported what he knew to the Dallas police and the FBI. So uh, there you have it. That is, uh, now I believe, again, multiple shooters, uh, but the shooter from the uh, sixth floor of the Texas School Book Depository is Malcolm Wallace. When Wallace was convicted of first-degree murder in 1951, he was represented at trial by John Cofer, Lyndon Johnson's personal attorney. Johnson holed up in a local hotel uh, near where the trial was held uh, until Cofer delivered a sentence of guilty with a suspended sentence. Malcolm Mack Wallace went on immediately to get a full security clearance uh, in a job with Temco, Uh, which was a major defense contractor uh, owned uh, by D.H. Byrd, the eccentric oil man who who coincidentally happened to also own the Texas School Book Depository building. D.H. Byrd was so happy about the death of John Kennedy. He was a big game hunter. His living room had heads of all kinds of uh, lions and tigers and, Deer and other big game he'd shot, he actually had the casings from the window from which Kennedy was shot, brought and mounted in his living room uh, as uh, a trophy. All true. So uh, now you know uh, who the man from the sixth floor of the Texas School Book depository building was. Uh, And you had to tune in to the uh, Roger Stone show to learn it. Now, believe me, folks, you don't need to go to Rob Reiner's multi-episode podcast to learn what I have already told you.